the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 2 Samuel, God sends a prophet and David's sin is laid bare for all to see. We'll pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 12 verse 7. Once again that's 2 Samuel chapter 12 verse 7. Second Samuel chapter 12. The whole theme of Second Samuel is uh, heart after God, and we are certainly not in a, a part of David's life where his heart is after the Lord. David's cover-up for his affair with Bathsheba through murdering Uriah and marrying her so that it seems like the, the child is legit. It seems to have worked for David and Bathsheba. The, the child is legitimized by their marriage, and all seems like it's smooth sailing ahead. With one exception, the last verse in chapter 11 tells us that the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And what David will soon find out is that a person can't progress in their relationship with the Lord when they're in that place. And so, because the Lord loves David and wants him to grow and continue to get close to him, the Lord exposes David's sin. And so, Nathan says to him, when David's anger rushes out, He says to David, you are the man. You are the one, David, who felt no compassion for Bathsheba, Uriah, her father, her grandfather, all of your loyal friends. You're the one who showed no pity. You're the one who should have recognized a very clear line that should never be crossed, but walked over it anyway. You are the selfish, arrogant man who abused his power to take from someone who couldn't do anything to stop it. You are the one who deserves to die, David. You are the son of death. Now, these were very bold words from Mr. Nathan the prophet. They are less bold words than Ahimelech the high priest spoke to King Saul, which ended up in him and all of his co-workers being murdered by Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 22. But Nathan does it anyway. There are times when we must lovingly but firmly confront someone's sin. Now, you need to understand the other side of this reality. God does not promise they will receive it well when we do so. He doesn't. 
but we must still have the courage to say it if God sends us, like Nathan, to do so. Now, before we move on, I do want to point out, <laughs> David's behavior is not just something Nathan disagreed with, okay? It's not like he's like, oh, David, I can't believe he did this. You can't tell somebody, you're the man, unless there's some obvious wickedness going on, all right? Too often, people are labeled as irredeemable when God is nowhere near finished working on that person because of something you just disagree with. Make sure when you say you're the man that you're Nathan and not David because two people made conclusions here. Now, Nathan, after he says, you are the man, I can only imagine the stunned shock on David's face. It doesn't tell us his reaction at all. Nathan just goes on speaking. It says, and Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. I didn't come here for your judgment on this issue, David. I have a message from the Lord for you. Now, when we look at God's message to David here through Nathan the prophet, there are great similarities between this message and Nathan's previous message in 2 Samuel chapter 7. In both messages, before God says what he's going to do to David, he reminds David of everything he'd already done for him, both times. Here we see that the Lord starts off and he says, Nathan says, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your bosom. I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have moreover have given unto you such and such things. It's interesting. We learned in 2 Samuel chapter 3 that Saul had one concubine, but now we learn that Saul had amassed a full harem of women when he was king. I don't want to go into that because we already covered Saul's failures ad infinitum. But the point that the Lord is relating to David here is, David, I didn't have to do any of this for you. God didn't have to pick David. He didn't owe David a rescue from King Saul. And he didn't have to give David the status of the most successful leader Israel had ever had in the land. All those things were gifts from God. We read about this here when he says, I'm the one who anointed you king over Israel. That goes all the way back to the beginning when David was a shepherd boy. And Samuel came up and he came to David's father's house and David brought out the oldest and God said, not him. And they went through all the kids and God said, none of them. And he turned to Jesse, David's father, and said, do you have any more kids? He goes, yeah, I've got one, but he's the run out with the sheep. Lord says, I didn't pick you because you were the best and I didn't have to pick you, but I did. I anointed you king over Israel. And then when someone refused to give it up, I delivered you from their hand. And then after you had been crowned king, I gave you everything. I gave you Saul's palace. I gave you his harem. And, and again, there's no idea that David even used Saul's harem. The idea is of a status thing. God's not for harems. The idea here is that he gave him this status. And the Lord says, I would have given you even more even a greater status if that had been too little. I'd have given you more of such and such of things, greater status, greater stuff, if you'd wanted it, if you just asked. I do think it's important to note that God does not claim to have given David all of his multiple wives. God doesn't mention that here because that was David's own doing and downfall. 
But I do find it to be so fascinating that even though David deserved none of these things, God is, says, I was willing to give you even more things you didn't deserve. God is far more willing to give than we are to ask. And that's, I think, what really displeased the Lord. David knew God wouldn't give him Bathsheba. But instead of asking for something he could have, he took something that was forbidden. And so the Lord asks him in verse 9, Wherefore, why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? In light of the fact that I've been so good to you, David, why did you despise my commandment? The word despise means to think lightly of, to not, it's not a very high priority to you. Why was my commandment a low priority to you? And that's a question I frequently ask myself. Why did you cross that line? Well, after all God's done for you. What were you thinking? Why wasn't what God commanded important enough to stop you? Those questions, they should break our hearts when we've sinned. They should urge us to run to his throne of grace to make things right. David had done none of that. Instead, he had covered up his sin with more sin. And so God says, in addition to this despising of my command to not take your neighbor's wife, in addition to that, you've killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife and you've slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. I used to wonder why God didn't point out the affair that started it all. Why is he just mentioning the murder and the marriage? But notice that the murder and the subsequent marriage are mentioned as things in addition to despising the Lord. When we get to verse 10, we see the same thing. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. The despising that David did was the initial sin. And so God is addressing here two problems with King David. His initial despising of God's command to have the affair, and then number two, his cover-up through the murder of Uriah and his marriage to Bathsheba. It's almost as if God says, why did you treat my commandments against adultery like they were nothing? And then why, oh why, did you do the rest of the stuff after that failure? Why didn't you come to me? There's even a sense in the way this sentence is worded that God is telling David, there would have been some kind of mercy after you despised my command against adultery if you'd confessed it. But by compounding your sin with the cover-up attempt, now your discipline will be even greater. And so in verse 10, the Lord says to him, Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Because of not just the adultery, but mostly because of this cover-up attempt, God pronounces two judgments upon David, two disciplines. The first one, he says, the sword won't depart from your house. You're going to have war for the rest of your days, David. Now, that's the exact opposite of the place God had brought him to when he blew it. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies. That was his future. And God says it's not anymore. The sword will never depart from your house. You'll have war for the rest of your days. Because, again, the Lord reiterates the seriousness of what David had done. 
And now he gets to the heart of it because you have not just despised my commandments, but by despising my commandments, you have despised me. And when I treat God's commands like they are not important, it's the same as treating God like he's not important. There's a sense where we have devalued him in our heart because we have thought of him as lesser in our heart, as if he does not see, he does not hear, and he does not know everything. And he says, not only did you despise me and think I I didn't see any of that stuff, but in addition to that, then you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. When I try to cover up that despising of God, I'm also saying that God's not going to do anything about how I've despised him. I had a Bible college teacher, and he said, when you get to the scary verses, teach them scary, because that's what they're meant to be. Don't try to remove the bite from them. In the same way, when you teach the comforting verses, teach them comforting. Don't try to remove the comfort from it. And I'll teach a message on the grace of God, because that's where we're in in the Bible. And inevitably, there's always somebody who comes to me and goes, well, you know, Pastor Will, we can't, you know, we don't want to use God's grace for license for sin. I'm like, yeah, duh. I wasn't there today. We'll talk about that when we get to that. Why can't we just talk about the grace of God? Uh, Okay. See how I do this politely. There are those who would say that if you were to just teach a message on the goodness of God with no strings attached, that you weren't preaching the full gospel. To which I would reply... What about all those sections of Scripture that just talk about the goodness of God and don't don't make sure they get in something about repentance or evil or sin or something like that? What about that? Are you telling me inspired Scriptures not preaching the gospel? And so, while there are wonderfully comforting passages that we read and we need to see them just as they are, not try to dumb them down at all so that, well, we don't don't want to get all licensee on sin— In the same way, when we see scary verses, they're meant to warn us. There is a reason that lists like 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 exist. There's a reason why. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, refers to homosexuality, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. They're there for a reason, to warn us. Yes, they remind us of what God saved us from, like he says, and such were some of you, but now you're washed. Yes, they are there for that, but they also serve as a warning to anyone who thinks that God will just ignore sin. And we know the truth is no one just gets away with sin. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. So David, you're going to have wars from now, and that's number one discipline. And then number two, verse 11, back in 2 Samuel 12, thus says the Lord, behold, which means, David, I'm not done with disciplining you yet, so pay attention. Behold. I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them unto your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. You think it's okay to proposition, seduce, 
pressure married women into an affair, David? Well then, you will learn how it feels to be on the receiving end of such behavior. And in doing so, God tells David that he will show him just how big he is. That nothing David has amassed to himself can be kept if God goes after it. And God will do it in such a way that David would learn forever the folly of thinking that he was somehow bigger than God, that God would not do something about what he had done. Because the truth is, God doesn't need to skulk around when he uses his authority. And so we will see this actual discipline, he says, of your own house, your own family are going to do to you what you did to your friend Uriah. That discipline that Nathan prophesies here will happen. It will find its fulfillment when Absalom, David's son, takes the kingdom from David in just a few chapters. And Absalom will sleep with David's wife, all of his wives, on the same roof where David first conceived the plan to cross the boundaries that God had set in his law. The same roof where he looked out and lusted after Bathsheba, that's where Absalom will sleep with all the wives that David has amassed to show I'm king now. I'm the one in charge. You know, it's always an interesting thing when you read that situation. David's fleeing from his son. And there's this guy up on the hill. He's a descendant, a family member of King Saul. And he's throwing rocks at David while David's trying to run away. And he's screaming at him. He's just going, you deserve every bit of this, you rat. You took the kingdom from my kinsmen. Everything that's happened to you, you deserve. And Remember, David's got his cousins or nephews, you know, Joab and Abishai. They're hanging around. And, and uh, these are not exactly like, hey, you want us to tell him to ask him to stop? They're not those kind of guys, okay? And so Abishai turns to David and he goes, you want me to remove that guy's head from his shoulders? That's how they would shut someone up. I'll take his head off and then he can't talk. <laughs> but David says some of the most interesting words of all of Scripture says, maybe the Lord sent him to curse me. Maybe the Lord sent him to throw stones at me. Maybe the Lord will see now what I'm going through and he'll have mercy upon me. And I think what David's probably thinking in this moment is he's going, I deserve this. I deserve this. I did this. What has been done to me, I did it. So maybe if I don't try to retaliate, maybe if I accept this, maybe God will have mercy on me. If I acknowledge that what's happening now is probably the most fair thing that's ever happened to me in my life, maybe then God will have mercy and not give me what I deserve. We'll get into that later. But these are some of the things that make David a man after God's heart. The worst thing you can do isn't blowing it like David blew it. The worst thing you can do is to somehow try to justify it or think you deserve better. It says, he who hardens his heart will be, I'm paraphrasing, will be swiftly cut down and that without remedy. But whosoever humbles himself will find mercy. God resists the proud, right? But he gives 
grace to the humble. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I am often asked why Nathan even has a message for David, why this is David's discipline, why David didn't get the death penalty, because unlike the fictional story with the man who took the lamb, you know, the rich man who took the lamb from the poor man, David did commit a capital crime. Not not even just one, he committed two capital crimes, adultery and murder. I don't know the full answer of why God didn't give David the death penalty immediately. I do know that the discipline David experiences, based on what Nathan tells him here, that they were both quite painful, perhaps maybe even more painful than just being executed on the spot. But I do think we also need to recognize that the Lord knew exactly how miserable David had been all this time, and he also knew how David would would respond once David was exposed. And so... When I think of David and God sparing him, it reminds me of another Israeli who committed capital crimes, but was not executed when confronted by the Lord. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it tells us that Paul went out with letters, you know, to capture Christians, to arrest them. And and it mentions that he was breathing out murders and threats. I've been angry before. I've wanted to hit somebody quite a few times. I don't know if I've ever been breathing out murder. I don't know if that was my inhalation and exhalation was murder ever. In 1 Timothy chapter 113, we read it in our scripture reading, Paul explains that one of his sins was that he was a blasphemer. That's another crime punishable by death. Murder, blasphemy, both capital crimes for an Israeli. And yet, all the while Paul was doing that, Jesus tells us in Acts 9-4 that he felt just like David did. When he met Jesus on the road, Jesus didn't kill him. He asked him a question. He didn't actually ask him a question. He made a statement. He He says, why do you persecute me? That's the question. But then he makes a statement and he goes, it's been hard for you to kick against the goats. You've been pretty miserable, man. Why are you still fighting this? And so in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, I'm going to close with this. David says this. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. We should all accept this. And what is it? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. You can't claim that title. It's under inspiration that somebody else already did. How be it, for this cause I obtained mercy. Why did God show Paul mercy? He says that in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, how patient he is, for a pattern that I might be a pattern for them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting, that everyone would know that God could forgive them too. And if God can forgive men who deserve to die like David and Paul, then God can forgive you and me no matter what we've done. So perhaps the Lord has been 
confronting you with something. My challenge to you is please don't keep that in the dark anymore. Bring it into the light. Confess your sin and find that God is far more merciful than you could ever comprehend. Amen? Lord, we may not have all done what David or even Paul did. But Lord, by the very admission of needing a Savior, we admit that we've done something that is worthy of death. For the wages of sin is death. And so, Lord, we don't want to be those who justify our sin, who hide, who cover up, who keep you at a distance because we don't want to deal with our sin. Lord, we don't want to get to a place where you've got to send somebody to confront us or you know, expose our sin and bring it into the light. Lord, you, you call out to us and offer mercy. You say, come, come into the light. You give us the beautiful promise that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, for anyone who's just saying, Lord, I'm, I'm coming clean, Lord, will you forgive them? Will you let them know they're forgiven? Lord, in your love and your compassion and your grace, will you reach down, break bones where necessary? Lord, that we might come running to your throne of grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.